The Bible reading this evening is from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. So 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. The day of the Lord. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. This is the word of the Lord. When he comes at last. We've been having this series uh, for the past few weeks on 2 Peter, and it's my joy and privilege to be able to preach this evening on 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. And it's called The Day of the Lord. Well, this letter was written probably, well, written in the first century, certainly. So that was very soon after Jesus had lived, died, risen again. And these people, Peter in particular, was an eyewitness of the things that he saw. And he wrote down for us the things that he saw. So we must never lose sight of the fact that people who criticize the scriptures are criticizing people who were actually in the presence of Jesus and have recorded for us the things that they saw. But even in those early stages, we know that there was persecution that came, and persecution is still carrying on, and thank you to Kevin for bringing that information to us about Burkina Faso, and we know that persecution goes on around the world, and we know that there is false teaching that is going on. Thank you, Phil, for reading the scriptures to us, the holy word of God, which never changes. People tell you it changes. New translations may come, but they are all in an effort to try and improve and make as accurate as possible the word of God. We have the scriptures in our hands, and what a blessing that is. And it's good for us to be able to come and to study the word of God together this evening. Let me warn you, I've got five headings this evening, and they all begin with P, because we've got at least three P's here this evening, and we've actually got, in the sermon, we've got five P's. And uh, so I would like to start with the first one. The prophecies spoken in, chapter, uh, in uh, verse 2 of chapter 3. 
And these verses, I can't read it up there, so I'll read it from the Bible. Uh, verse 2 tells us, I want you all to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. So there are many, many prophecies in the Bible. Do you know, there are 27 books in the New Testament, and 23 of those books in the New Testament all speak specifically about the return of the Lord Jesus. There are 260 chapters in the New Testament, and there are over 300 references to the return of the Lord Jesus. And there are many prophecies in the Old Testament that when you understand them, they are speaking about not just the first event, the first advent of Jesus coming, but they're looking towards a time when God will wrap the world up, when Jesus will return again. And so we find in verse 3 of our passage, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. <clears throat> in this series, we've had a number of uh, things that have been brought to our attention, but a number of times we have heard that there will be scoffers that come, those that, that deny the very existence of God. You can barely turn on your television set these days and watch a program without some reference to evolution. And the whole idea of evolution is try to, to try to eradicate any need to believe in God, that God created the world by the, his spoken word in six literal days. And so we are surrounded by people that firstly want to deny the existence of God. And then we're also struggling with those who want to corrupt the scriptures. They add to the scriptures. They take away from the scriptures. They water down the message of salvation. And those who ignore the word of God, uh, they want to ignore the word of God because they want to follow their own agenda. And we're seeing this, as the world calls it, this sexual revolution. What it means is that they want to abandon what God has taught us about the purity of marriage and the relationship between man and woman. And they want to introduce these other things because they want to ignore what God has taught us. And they go to great lengths to try to eradicate any belief in God. And you talk to people these days, it's interesting, if you, if you get a chance, have a look at uh, a video um, by um, Living Waters. It's uh, by a man called Ray Comfort. He's a New Zealander. Some people call him the banana man. But, but if you have a look on, uh, on your YouTube and you see Living Waters by Ray Comfort, you'll see how he speaks to people on the street and he asks them questions like, uh, when you die, where are you going to go? Well, I hope I'm going to go to heaven. And then he said, well, what basis do you think you're going to go to heaven? And of course, it all comes down to this living a perfect life, living a good life. It must be good enough and God will accept them. And he points out to them that they are sinners and that they need to repent. But we live in a world that laughs at the very thought of accountability, that you are accountable, I am accountable to the God that made me. And also, that I'm one day going to have to stand in his presence and, and be judged. I know we talk about being passing from judgment into life, 
Because when we stand before God, instead of God the Father seeing our sinful nature, what he's going to see is the righteousness of Christ. Because as Paul points out to us, Jesus came and he died on the cross in order to take away our sin and to clothe us in his righteousness. So when we stand in the presence of God, we will not be seen as sinners, but we will be seen as those that have been saved by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. But we do live in these days when people laugh at the thought of accountability. And now we come on to this very idea of Jesus' return. And they have no thought that Jesus will one day return. And uh, because they believe that the world is billions of years old, they believe that the world would go on and on, just as it has in the past, it will go on in the future, and uh, everything is repeatable. And they forget, and they try to eradicate, that at times God has done tremendous things. He's changed the, the laws of nature. He's held the sun back for a whole day. But one day, he destroyed the whole world with water. He made it out of water, but one day he was so disappointed with the way mankind had gone that he destroyed the world with water. Well, these people deny that. They, they can look at the evidence. There's ample evidence. I'd advise you or encourage you to go to uh, Creation Ministries International. You can look it up on the internet. Some of you get the magazine uh, from Creation and you will see that there are so many proofs, so, so much evidence to prove that this world didn't happen by accident, but it happened by the word of God. He spoke it into existence. And they deny creation. They deny the existence of Adam and Eve. They deny Noah's flood. They deny that languages came about because of the Tower of Babel. And then they come to the New Testament. People have tried to uh, prove that Jesus never rose from the dead. And many of those who have tried to prove that have come to realize that the evidence is overwhelming that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. But on top of that, many people today scoff and laugh at the idea that Jesus will one day return. Verses 5 and 6 of, of our passage say, says, they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. There are many prophecies both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament to prove that God exists more than that, that, God, that Jesus Christ came to the world, lived and died for those who put their trust in him, and he promised, and the word of God promises and, and prophesies that Jesus will one day return. That's the first P. The second P is the promises to come. Verses 3 to 7. Let's read them. They're up on the screen. Above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffers and following their own desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. 
But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed by water out of water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The promises to come. It's rather shocking, isn't it, when you read those words? And yet, the world is awash with fears of global warming. I'm told that uh, global warming is an old-fashioned saying, we now talk about climate change. And sure, things are changing. I don't think we, any of us can doubt that. Uh, whether it's uh, ever been like this before, uh, I've not lived long enough yet to, to find that out. But um, I do know that... Uh, uh, God's word is true, and that things will one day come to an end. God spoke the world into existence, and so he will speak its destruction. What did it say there in verse 7? By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment uh, and destruction of the ungodly. So God has spoken. When God said that he was going to destroy the, flood, the world in the days of Noah, people laughed and scoffed at him. And we're told that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He went around to people and said, look, the way that you're living is displeasing to God. And God will bring judgment on you if, if you ignore him. And we know that the people carried on living just from one day to the next, living as though nothing was going to happen. And guess what? It's the same today. People are living as if God's word has no relevance, has no power in this world. But when God spoke to Noah, and Noah told the people around him what was going to happen, it happened. It really came to happen. And the flood came, and it destroyed the world. And, uh, and God has said here, as we see in verse 7, uh, through the, the apostle Peter, that one day the world will be destroyed. That day will be a day of judgment and a day of destruction. It's going to be a terrible day. Uh, it will come when we least expect it, as it says in verse 10, like a thief in the night. Friends here this evening and those listening online, this is the word of God. God is, is telling us and promising us, and he never breaks a promise, God is telling us that one day this world will be wrapped up. One day this world will come to an end. Scientists are telling us that if we don't change our ways, the world is going to, to suffer a terrible destruction. Well, they're absolutely right. But it's not because of what mankind has done to the world. It's because God has the power, as he had at creation, to speak into existence the world. He has the power to speak the destruction of the world. And what a day that will be. It will come as a thief in the night. And it will be a dreadful day for, for those that are alive at that time. So the promise of God. God has promised that that day will come. And we as believers live in a world that is blinkered to what God has said. And we must wake up to the fact that God has promised that that day is not too far away. I don't know how long away it is. The Bible tells us that we don't know when it's happening. If 
like a thief in the night. If you knew, knew which night the, the thief was going to come, then you'd be ready for him. But if you know a thief is coming sometimes, at some time in your life, then you probably take precautions to make sure that when he does come, that he's not going to be able to get what he's come for. Well, in the same way, we as Christians don't know when the Lord is going to return, but we should live every day as though we are expecting him. So we've seen the prophecies uh, that have been spoken, the promises yet to come, and so we move on to point number three. The patience of God, verses 8 and 9. Let's just read them. But do not forget this one thing, dear friend. With the, the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The patience of God. Sometimes I look at the crazy things that uh, mankind is doing in this world and I wonder to myself, how can God tolerate this? You know that in Genesis uh, uh, chapter 19, we read about Sodom and Gomorrah. And when Abraham uh, was alive and his nephew Lot had gone down into these towns and they were dreadful places with uh, dreadful practices that were going on and God sent his angels to rescue Lot and his family. But God looked on that world and what a cesspit it was and he could not tolerate it any longer and he sent judgment on those towns. Now if God did that to Sodom and Gomorrah, what about the world, uh, the, the world in which we live today? How is it that God hasn't yet brought judgment on our world? Are we Better than Sodom and Gomorrah? I don't think so. I think we're probably as bad, if not worse, than the things that were happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. So why hasn't God brought uh, punishment on this world? We well, see in verse 9, the, the Bible here tells us that God is not slow. God is not slow to bring judgment. He will bring judgment. He's promised he will bring judgment. Judgment is awaiting all who stand outside of the salvation that Jesus Christ offers us. But he's not, he, he's not being slow. And to him, God, there is no real time. He's outside of time. Verse 8 uh, there tells us, A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So why hasn't God brought judgment upon this world by now? Well, the reason is there. It's given to us there in those verses because he's a patient God, a patient God, a God who loves you, a God who loves your loved ones and my loved ones, a God who wants to bring as many into the kingdom of God as he can. It says there, doesn't it, he's not willing that any should perish. That's the mark of a loving God, a God who made us, every one of us, are made in the image of God. And God is not slow to bring punishment, but he's, he's patient. He's wanting to bring into his kingdom those who will repent of their sins and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I may not be as bad as some people, but I'm a lot worse than others. But my life is tainted by sin. 
And as a sinner, I can have nothing to do with you because my sin makes a barrier between you and me. But the Lord Jesus Christ has come to break through that barrier, to come and speak to our hearts so that we can repent of our sins and say, Lord Jesus, please come into my life. And if you're listening to this online and you've never invited Jesus to be your saviour, the Bible tells us, and we've been reading it on Wednesday night, that if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. None of us can sit before God and say, I'm innocent of all sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And God wants us to repent and come to him. And God has not brought judgment on this world because he's patient. He's not willing that any should perish. I didn't put the verses up. There you go. Let's go to the next one. Four out of five. The power of God. Verse 10, which Phil read to, to us. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. The power of God. We look at a volcano. Apparently, um, uh, where my granddaughter lives out in uh, um, Naples, uh, there's uh, Mount Vesuvius just down the road, and they're saying that it last erupted badly in 1944. And they think that it's brewing up for another explosion. And you know, when you see the power of a volcano, you think, how can anybody survive such a catastrophe? I don't know whether you remember watching, well, you've got to be of a certain age, I guess, but we remember watching Mount St. Helens in, uh, in America uh, back in the, I think it was 1980 or 1982, uh, when we saw the, the, the hill and we saw this bulge coming out of the side of it. And, uh, and they were saying, it's going to blow at any time. And they would go to the people that were living on the mountain, saying, you've got to leave. Some of them said, no, it's been like this before. It's not going to happen again. But then they recorded it. And it's fantastic to see the power of this volcano erupting and all the lava pouring down the hill. It's worth looking into, you, you young people, finding out the power of, of God in the eruption of Mount St. Helens in America and seeing how it created, down in Spirit, uh, Spirit Lake and down through the valley, uh, something very similar to the Grand Canyon. And you can see that uh, it was a gush of great, uh, a multitude of water rushed down the hill, and it washed away all the soil, and it left these pillars that were just like um, the Grand Canyon. So it proves to us that the Grand Canyon was formed not by a little, war, little water over many, many years, but it was formed by a lot of water in a few minutes. Well, God's power is tremendous. That day when he, he brings about the disappearance of the, uh, the heavens and the earth will be like no other. Um, he used water the first time when he brought punishment on the earth, killed everything that was living, uh, except for those creatures that were in Noah's Ark, and they started all over again. He destroyed the, water with, uh, the, the world with water once, but he's promising us here that the next time 
he will be destroying the world with fire. But not just the world. Those stars that he flung into space on the fourth day, how did he do it? I don't know. The power of God is just so great that he threw these stars into the air. And and the Bible tells us that every one of them has a name. He knows about every star. And, And Abraham was told that he would have children like stars in the sky or like grains of sand on the sea. There are billions and billions of them. God knows every one of them. But it tells us here that one day they will all be destroyed by fire. And it's going to be a great noise. We would never have heard anything like it. This will be a day like no other. The very atoms that make up, that, that, that make up what we know as life here on earth will be gone. God has enormous power. And he doesn't have it just in his arms, in his physical self. He just has to speak it. And it happens. That is the power of God. That's the power of God that will really frighten us and, and make us a, uh, to be aware uh, of the awfulness of God's um, second coming just before Jesus comes. But the power of God is also a loving power. You can have friends, maybe even with your own testimony. You can look back and say, well, I was so far away from the Lord And then the Lord spoke to me, and he brought me into his kingdom. I've spoken to people who never, ever thought that they would put their trust in the Lord Jesus. And when they've come to faith, come to put their trust in him, what a wonderful thing it is. God has got great power to save. And it says says to us there in verse 9, he's not willing that any should perish. God wants to save everybody. He doesn't enforce himself upon you or upon people. He doesn't do that. He doesn't, he's not an overbearing God. But he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come unto me and, and find rest. I will give you rest. He's, he's welcoming people into his kingdom. And people are living as though there's no, nothing to worry about. No God in whom we must uh, one day give an account of our life. So God is a powerful God, a God that is able to destroy the world, a God who is able to save the world and save its people. So we've looked at these, uh, these four Ps, the, the prophecies of God, um, the promises of God. I can't read it up there. I can read it up there, though. Yeah, the promise, the patience, and the power of God. And we come to the end... Of, Chapter uh, 3 and verse 10, we've come to at the end. But we haven't looked at the purpose that Peter had in writing this. Why did Peter bother to write this letter to the people that were probably living in the Black Sea area, people that uh, were were Christians, people that he had ministered to? Why did he bother to write it to them? Well, we read right there at the very beginning, I love this, dear friends. Isn't it nice when Christians address one another? Dear friends, dear brother and sister in Christ, it's such a closeness, such a love. And Peter had this for these people. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Let's put that up there. You see, Peter had something really dear to his heart, something that if you like, kept him awake at night. Something that he was really urgently wanting to share with people. God 
through the Lord Jesus, had spoken to Peter. And he was, he was on fire. He was anxious to share this word with people. And, uh, and he wanted to tell them what was going to happen. He wanted to tell them about the prophecies, about the promises, about the patience of God. He wanted to do all of that because he wanted to stimulate them to wholesome thinking. Unsullied thinking. The Amplified Bible says, uh, unsullied, sincere mind. That means that we blot out the things in the world that drag us away from God. So easy to get into things of the world which uh, we think are perfectly innocent in, in themselves and probably are. But we get so interested in them that they start to impinge on our Christian life. Oh, we haven't got time to have a, a quiet time in the morning because we've this to do, that to do. Or the weekends, well, there's something special and it's only one Sunday after all that I'm going to be missing. And, and so we find it very easy to be pulled away from God. Well, Peter is saying to the people, I want to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to get your priorities right. I want you to know what is right and what is wrong. And he says, I want you to call to mind. Call to mind the, the words spoken by the Old Testament prophets. The words spoken by Jesus Christ himself. So Peter is not making up these, uh, the, this message. He said, this is from the Holy Spirit. This is something that God has placed upon him to be the messenger, to tell it out to people. Words that he heard from Jesus Christ. And the witness of the apostles. Um, Peter had some very real life experiences and he mentions them in the 2 Peter chapter 1. So he's, he's, called, he's saying, I want you to remember these things. These are important. Remember them. And then he says in verse 5, and it's in a contrast really, he says, not forgetting. Deliberately forgetting, it says there in verse 5. Let me just read it again to you. They, this is the, the false prophets. They deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water by water. But these waters... Uh, also, sorry, by these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. They deliberately forget. We live in a world where people are trying to undermine what the Word of God says, what the Bible teaches us. It's a precious book. You remember the, con the coronation when the Bible was given to uh, King Charles and the words were said, this is the most valuable thing that you will ever own. With all his wealth, with all his riches, with his orb, with his scepter, with his crowns, nothing is more important, nothing is more valuable than the word of God. So we're not to forget these things. We're to constantly remind ourselves. God spoke the heavens into creation and he will speak again and he will destroy the world. That's what the Bible is telling us. These promises are sure God never breaks a promise. So what, we, what do we do now? What do we do with this information? Well, let's read verse 10 and 11 again. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God 
and speed his coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We haven't got time for questions this evening, but what's, what are we going to do with this message? Well, in two weeks' time, we're going to be concluding this passage, and uh, Phil is going to come and, and speak to us, and we will know how we should live our lives. We mustn't forget that God has spoken. We mustn't forget that God is a patient God. We mustn't forget that God keeps his promises. We mustn't forget that God is an all-powerful God. And we're living in a world that is heading towards destruction. How are you, how am I, going to face these future days? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word because we know it is truth. And Lord, sometimes it says to us things that uh, disturb us, things that uh, cause us to really scratch our heads and say, is this really going to happen? I've never experienced anything like this before. Is it really going to be something that is, is an experience outside of anything that this world has ever seen? Well, that's how it was in the days of Noah. And in these last days, before the Lord returns in power and glory, we know, Lord, that you have a day when dreadful things will happen and people who are outside of the kingdom of God, people who have never fallen in love with you, will left, be left behind for destruction. Lord, help us to not forget. Help us to remember that your word is true and that you will be bringing about these things in the near future. And until that day, we pray that you will help us to be unspoilt by the world, that you will help us to have wholesome minds as we approach that day. And may we be a great encouragement to one another. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for those words. We thank you that it is possible for sinners like us to receive forgiveness, to repent, to be brought into the kingdom of God, to know the power of God, to know the purpose that you have prepared this letter for us, to know that your prophecies in the Old Testament are true, that your promises will come true, that you are a loving, caring, patient God. We pray, Lord, that you will bless each one of us as we go to our homes. We pray that during this coming week that we may be good ambassadors, good witnesses for you in all we do. We pray that we will have wholesome minds, keeping our eye on the very fact that this world is not forever. One day you will bring destruction to this world and you will take those who have put their trust in you home to be with you forevermore. Until that day, may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost rest and be upon each one of us, both now and forevermore, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.